This session is going to be called Your Church Culture Revisited in light of the McKinsey 7S diagram. Now you're going, what the heck is McKinsey and what is a 7S diagram? Well, McKinsey Corporation is just about the largest business consulting firm in the United States. And though they're entirely secular, they have some really good wisdom for the church, which has a tendency to pull us back to who we really are, biblically, theologically, and in terms of our value set. The thing is pretty easy to remember because it looks kind of like a shape of an atom. And uh, at the middle of it are shared values. And, and then what we call the soft S's and then the harder S's. And that'll all make sense to you as we get into the diagram. Just to recap, your church culture revisited using the modified McKinsey 7S tool to analyze what you're doing and how well thought through what you're doing really is. The problem that we have is that church culture is often chaotic. And I mean, the little lines running everywhere, uh, the question mark in the middle kind of tell the story, uh, but it's too often driven by vision. Vision dominates most decisions. I think that's wrong. I got into a huge argument with a pastor in Hawaii who I was trying to groom to take a pretty important role. And, you know, he just demanded that vision trumps values. And I don't see how that can possibly be. How can you even have any kind of vision unless you have biblical values at the root of, of who you are, at the core of your being? Another time, we're going to discuss our personal value set, a little different than theology, scriptures that we've built our life around. These are our values. And then we want to look at our church value set. That's really a topic for another discussion. Today, I just want to place values at the center of your universe in terms of the way that you think. Shared values generate more meaningful choices and better vision. And so at the, the, the core of what we're doing here are shared values. And, and this is what comes out of scripture. It's what's rooted deep in your heart. It's everything that's in the book of Acts. It's the few things that Paul said here and there about how to do church and why we do church and uh, the examples that we have of evangelism. A lot of this stuff looks a lot different than the church down the road or the church that's doing a really good job of attracting thousands of people because they got the best show in town. The problem with all of those things is they're not really easy to reproduce. Uh, they're not necessarily sustainable. But when you come back to the Bible and, and, and you have biblical things at the core of everything that you believe, and you can build something out that is very easily sustainable and very easily reproducible, in fact, infinitely reproducible, uh, we wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't true. And so I want to start with the first of the seven S's. Well, the first of the seven S's is actually the shared values. And so that's the core. But the first of the soft S's, the three soft S's are style. So I've got my values. I got my personality. I got my spiritual gifts. I'm called to be the leader. I'm called to plant this thing or whatever. And so who are you? What are you all about? You know, are, are you casual? Are you formal? Are you, I mean, are you country Western in your music? So who are you? What's your personal style? What's your flavor? I mean, there was a little while in Hawaii that we had a worship leader, a little while, got about 15 years, who wrote songs and sang like Bob Dylan. It was great. It absolutely fit my personality. Then he introduced the original words to the what I know as the drifter song, Stand By Me. 
And, you know, it goes, darling, darling, stand by me, uh, you know, whatever. In the original verse, it was, Jesus, you're my doctor. Jesus, you're my lawyer. Stand, won't you stand? Please stand by me. I wept in church that day. So style, leader's style is very, very important. It's foundational. So the next of the soft or organic S's that I want to talk about are skills. And I think it's really, really important that when you're looking at skill set, you're looking for people who can strengthen you in your weaker areas or enhance the areas where you're really strong. And I wrote a book called How to Hire, How to Fire, and How to Manage in Between. And in that book, I spent a lot of time talking about skill set and then the companion thing of hiring staff. And they kind of go together, but it really needs to be rooted in your shared values, um, what, what you're teaching from the Bible, what you believe is the call of God on your life and on the life of the church that you lead, on your style, kind of music that you like, the way you like to dress, uh, just the way you treat people. Uh, are, are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? All of those things. Well, then you start looking for people who can bring something to the table that you lack. That's basically what you're doing. If the church gets really big, obviously you lack the ability to do everything. But in a smaller church, you're looking for maybe volunteer staff, but people who can complement the gifts that God put in you. And you, you really need to spend some time figuring this one out before you start hiring staff. <clears throat> one thing that I wrote about in that How to Hire book is that whenever we would, you know, big church, um, this started actually when we were probably about 13 or 1400 people in California. And, and we kept doing it as we grew to the couple thousand size. But uh, anytime that somebody would leave us, they move to Timbuktu or they decide to just move eight miles away and plant a church, we would take everybody's job description and, and, and everybody would piece it out in three by five cards. And we'd gather together in a room as a staff and we would make a party out of this. And we'd take any part of your job that you didn't feel you were really great at or you didn't like or you weren't real comfortable with and we'd throw it on the floor. And then what you got to do was pick from what's on the floor the things that you think you would like to do. And of course the team had veto power over you and the senior leader had veto power also. Uh, we could say, no, no, that job's not for you. Or we could actually tell somebody, hey, pick that piece up. That's yours and you're keeping it. But we would, it was a sifting process. And so it allowed us to break down a job description into skill sets. So we're looking at each item on the job description as a necessary skill to accomplish a portion of the task of doing the Great Commission. And sometimes we'd, we'd end up after everybody picked up the cards, there's a bunch of cards left on the floor and there would be the time to say, hey, you have to pick that one up or whatever. But a lot of times it, we, we would just trim staff. Sometimes we would find that we lost a really valuable staff member, but we parceled their job out amongst other people so much, so well, we didn't have to hire anybody to take their place. It saved us money. And so this correlation between skill set and staffing is so important. I have seen several times where, I've done it myself actually once or twice, but where you're in need, somebody comes along and you're sure that the timing of their showing up is the Lord. And so you decide, this is God, I'm supposed to hire this person. And six months later, they're not working for you anymore because it didn't work out and you lost a friend in the process. That ought not to happen. 
And so again, we're building off of our shared values, off of our style of ministry, off of our own skills as leaders, and then the skills that we're looking to, to hire either as a volunteer or a paid person. And that's where we begin to get our staff. We move from there to what I call the hard S's. Now, the hard S's start with strategy. And, you know, we make such a big deal of strategy, but we mostly end up doing tactics. Big, huge difference between strategy and tactics. Strategy is what's going to be with you 15 years from now. Strategy is part of the life message and mission of the church that you're going to build when we're done with this whole thing. And, and, and yet, you know, we'll go to a conference and we get some hot idea and we come home and rather than picking and choosing the good parts of it that actually could fit somewhere into this diagram, we just copy stuff. And so we're just sucking in tactics all the time to do that when we read books. Uh, I'm very prone to that and, and yet I fight against it all the time. I think I win the war pretty well. But I, I want you to think back to World War II with me. I'm a kind of a World War II nut. And, the, the, you know, as MacArthur crossed the Pacific, the goal wasn't to bomb Hiroshima or Nagasaki. As MacArthur was crossing island hopping across the Pacific, the goal was to break the will of the Japanese emperor to continue to wage war. That was the whole deal. Didn't want to kill the emperor. Didn't want to destroy Tokyo, although they ended up doing that. Didn't want to bomb two cities with nuclear bombs, although they ended up doing that. What they did was they would, because the Japanese were using all these little tiny islands as air bases. Think of them as, you know, aircraft carriers frozen in place. Well, we had aircraft carriers that would move and we sunk most of theirs. We, we sunk them at the Battle of Midway. We sunk them at the Battle of, the Coral, of Coral Sea. And so we were in a pretty good spot. And, and they were able to actually, the strategy now is to skip across islands. And, you know, in other words, leave this island alone and isolate it by taking the next island and then skip two or three more islands and isolate them to where you've rendered their equipment, their, their military, everything useless. But you know what? When, when we got into doing things like the bombing of, of Nagasaki, that was tactical. That wasn't strategic. That was tactical. It ended the war but it was a tactic to end the war. This, the strategy always was this long-term thing. You fit the tactics into it. That's why the bombs were so effective or the firebombing of Tokyo or all those things that they did. But even those major, major events were tactical events. And we need to be able to separate strategy from tactics in our thinking if we're going to build something that's enduring you know, as part of the kingdom of God, something that is infinitely reproducible and infinitely sustainable. And this brings me to structure. You know, again, structure is a big problem for me. I remember as a young guy, and I fell prey to this. I uh, went to a church convention. There's a guy named Jack Hayford there who I had known since I was like 16, and he was 27. He was the national youth director for our denomination, a man I hold in really, really high regard. And, and he had taken over this little church of maybe 16 people, 14 people, I remember, called the, uh, the Van Nuys uh, Foursquare Church. And he renamed it the Church on the Way in Van Nuys. And uh, eventually grew to like 9,000 people. Incredibly good things happened there. But he's probably, there are probably about two, 300 people in church at that time. Uh, Jack is still pastoring 
uh, at, at the same time, he's bivocationally serving as a dean of students in a Bible college. And so he's, he's a Bible guy who started out with a micro church and it grew. And, um, but he came to a point where he needed to hire a church administrator. Today, we'd probably call that person an executive pastor. So he's got like, you know, two, 300 people in church. All these guys that have 50, 60, 70 folks in their church are out hiring church administrators the next week. And a lot of them are making the mistake of hiring their best friend and none of it's gonna work out. I mean, crazy stuff. You know what everybody at those smaller churches needed at that time? An answering service. And the telephone answering service was something that they used to have before cell phones, where if you weren't on the road doing whatever you're doing, somebody could call the answering service they that had they had your number and then you could call the answering service and get your messages pretty simple a lot cheaper than hiring a church administrator and so we will build these structures you know we we we, we see something in some other church and suddenly we've got what looks like mcdonald's playground outside in front of our church building because the other guy did it not because it reflects our values or our style or our skills our staff nothing wrong with those playgrounds it's just that they got to fit with what you are and who you are and, and, and the culture that you're building. You know, Peter Drucker said that culture eats strategy for lunch. I think he's right about that. Culture is the most important thing. I think values eat, eat vision and everything else for lunch. If we don't have the values right, we don't have anything. And this brings me to the end and, and, of the seven S's, and that's systems. We're trying to um, modify a church culture or build a church culture. We're intentionally trying to inject multiplication as just a, a mainframe strategy into what we're doing as a church. It comes from values. It comes from reading the New Testament, reading the Gospels and Acts as a continuum. It comes from seeing immaturity in the early church when it was a mega church in the first few chapters of Acts and maturity when the church began to be micro churches and multiplying and you know church in Ephesus has maybe 200 meeting places all, all, all of those things come together and so in in this this thing that we call culture and they work their way out in our community the way our community is with us the way we are and we build our way through these values through our style through skill through staff strategy structure and systems and then our systems tend to hold us down. And why is that? Because what works really well this year won't probably work well for th three years from now. And there's a tendency for us to hang on to the past and try to fit the future and new technologies even into old systems. And they, they slow us down. So that's probably the reason that you're even looking at this because you've come to a point where you realize that your church culture isn't working right. And I'm here to tell you that, uh, take a real good, hard, long look at systems. But before you start changing systems, go all the way back to values. And that brings me to the next slide. I put this together. This isn't the McKinsey folks. This is just Ralph Moore. <clears throat> and I want you to notice the arrow first because decisions become progressively easier and less weighty as you move up this little staircase that I built. It starts with shared values. I mean, this is this just doesn't come from you going to a seminar or you listening to me. 
your values are your values. This is something that the Holy Spirit has driven into your heart, often through pain. And so this has got to be the basis for everything. Well, then next we get into the, what I mean, green, thinking organically, the soft S's. And you'll notice that as they progress, they get lighter in color. And the reason for that is that they, they get less and less difficult. Uh, so out of my shared values, I, I begin to add my style. Well, you know what? You pretty much can't change your style. It's part of who you are. And so that's just, that's there. Again, that's something hard won. I mean, part of the way that you pastor your church has to do with somebody bullying you in high school or some girlfriend that you were in nuts in love with and she took off with some other guy. Those are the kind of things that shape us. And, and so again, th those, are, those are pretty sad. But now skills, I start to need skills to enhance what I'm doing. And uh, this begins to be a little easier because I can look at me and see where I'm weak or look at me and see where there's opportunity and I know what I'm looking for when I want to hire somebody. And then finding staff is especially easy if you're raising people up and discipling people and doing succession management. That's terribly easy. But even if you have to hire from the outside, and notice I said have to. I've, I've hired from the outside in 50 some odd years of pastoral ministry. I've hired exactly four times from the outside. And you know what? It worked really well three of those times. And um, it doesn't always work. But if you have to do it, it's a lot easier to do if you have already figured out your values, your style, your skill. And once you got staff in place and you start to get the staff together, volunteer, paid, core group, if you're getting ready to start a church, whatever, and you build strategy. And, you know, I, I like to try to think in terms of 20 years. I have an architect friend that taught me something once. I, 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 I used to just be flim flam man. Uh, we do one-year planning, we, and you got to do one-year planning. We get together once a year, our whole staff go on a retreat, and we plan the next year, but we're ping-ponging. We're just all over the place, and 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 people are always telling me, you need a five-year plan. Well, I cannot think five years into the future. It's just crazy. I cannot, but I can think 20 years in the future, and so can you. Anybody knows where they want to be in 20 years. Are you, do you want to be retired in 20 years? For me, I'm 75 years old. I want to be alive. And I want to be out walking three miles a day. And I want to be driving my little 2004 um, red Mustang convertible and be that old geezer with that funny car. I, those are the kind of things that I'm looking for 20 years from. That's very easy. All my architect friend says, do this to the church. Lay out where you want to be in 20 years. Do you want to own property? Do you want to not own property? Do you want to have shifted completely over to being a microchurch network? Do you want to have missionaries in Zimbabwe? And what are you thinking about 20 years from now? Well, then go cut it in half. And now you got a 10-year plan. Cut your 10-year plan in half, and you got a five-year plan. Now, here's the key. Once you have the five-year plan, you start to lay out, just like this, these stair steps that I put in front of you, you start to to sketch in, this is this year, this is next year, this is that year, this is that year, and you get five years sketched out. And now you really have a roadmap to where you're going and you're starting to think strategically. And you can now read all the books, go to all the conferences, steal all the ideas, you know where to fit them in and you're off to the races. You're building culture rather than ping-ponging. And once you've got strategy in place, then of course you go to structure 
and, uh, and and you build a structure that works. When I start, first started as a pastor, I uh, inherited a building that would hold 66 people, which terrified me because I didn't think I had the capacity to ever see that building full of people. But what was even more terrifying were that there were three eight foot by eight foot Sunday school classrooms, not eight by 10. I mean, eight foot by eight foot is, you can't hardly get a big folding table in that room, let alone a bunch of little kids, but we only had three of them. And I grew up in a Sunday school that was cradled to the grave. You know, you went to Sunday school at 9.45 and then church was at 11 and every, the infants in the nursery and the two-year-olds were in Sunday school and the adults were in Sunday school. Well, suddenly I got a problem because the building that I inherited, there's no way to build the right kind of structure. Two weeks before I started that church, I was introduced to a man named Chuck Smith from Costa Mesa, Calvary Chapel. And he talked about how he had just turned church into the equivalent of what Sunday school was. He just taught the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And, and in those days, you had Sunday night evangelistic service, which was kind of the equivalent of a seeker-sensitive deal. And I grew up in a church like that. He threw that away. And Sunday night, he just he just kind of moseyed through the Bible, 10 chapters every Sunday night with a bunch of hippies, you know, barefoot in church, whatever. And um, I couldn't do that, but I could learn from him and I could realize what he did, I could do. He ran a children's church up to grade six. And we could do that in our little tiny building. And then I could teach the Bible over the pulpit. I made it a point. I've listened in my life to one tape of Chuck Smith teaching the Bible because I wanted to do what Chuck does, but I didn't want to imitate him. I wanted to be Ralph Moore in that process. Again, so I'm building um, my style, my skills, my values into a structure that I stole some of it from, from Chuck. Uh, some of the tactical parts of the strategy I stole from Chuck Smith and I'm still doing those kind of things today. And then, of course, we end up with systems. You know, we had a system in the churches that I pastored of uh, just kind of fanning the fire and making heroes out of people of an annual report. We made a big, big stinking deal, kind of like a president's State of the Union speech. And I got up with little charts and graphs, and I'd show people how many people came to the Lord because somebody personally brought them to the Lord, because that's really what only happens. And, uh, and, and, and so we, we built these systems. Of course, we had systems for counting money and systems for managing the budget and systems for managing our seven services and systems for managing a, a preaching team and how we all get together and we construct the sermon. We, we, we put all that stuff into place. But my point with this particular slide and this whole thing really is that there is a progression and it has to be anchored with shared values. And then all these other S's come out of it. And if you do that, and you kind of do it in this order, you're going to have a viable church culture. And we're talking specifically about driving multiplication into the heart of that culture. So you go back to values, and you and you start teaching values, because it's shared is the key word here. If the values aren't shared, if the church doesn't believe in, in the value of giving away people and money and all that to multiply churches, well, you're not going to get anywhere. And, you know, people always ask me, how can I do this? And, and, and when they're coming to me asking, how can I do this? They're thinking in terms usually of strategy and structure, sometimes systems. And my goal is always push you back to values and get your teaching across the pulpit.
those values that are going to fulfill the Great Commission, those values that are going to get us from Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to Acts chapter 8 verse 1 to the ends of the earth. Hey, thanks for taking time to listen to this. I just want to remind you of the website, ralphmoore.net. And lately, I'm posting stuff on YouTube, so you might even want to go there and subscribe.